Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The House Speaker vote sees a continued deadlock. Members are set to reconvene today to try again. What's the reason for the resistance? And what are the negotiations focused on? Proof of vaccination still required for foreign visitors. The U.S. continues to be one of the only countries not offering alternatives to vaccines when entering the country. The first batch of Twitter files in the new year is out, showing that the federal government asked Twitter to remove a whopping 250,000 accounts. Evidence now suggests that the U.S. Secretary of Transportation and Southwest Airlines had advanced knowledge of potential transportation and computer problems with airlines. This before the company's operational breakdown over the holidays. The director of the Mexican prison that just had a riot is fired. Gunmen attacked the prison and killed inmates and guards. Leadership of the House remains in limbo after Republican leader Kevin McCarthy failed to win after three votes in the race for House Speaker. The House is set to reconvene right about now to try to resolve the deadlock. Among internal opponents is Representative Bob Good of Virginia's 5th District. We spoke with a congressman on his position. That we need to move past Kevin McCarthy. He doesn't have the votes. He's not going to have the votes. He's got some 20 or so that are hard-nosed against him. I think you may see someone else emerge today in the fourth ballot, the first ballot that we have afternoon today, uh, or perhaps on the fifth ballot. I think you're going to see more uh, individuals, members of Congress, willing to vote against Kevin McCarthy. He's part of the problem. He's not part of the solution. Past history is the best indicator of what future performance will be. He has contributed to how we got to 32,000, excuse me, $32 trillion in national debt. He has contributed to the fact that Congress has a 20% approval rating. 80% of the country thinks we're on the wrong track. We can't do what we've always done, done and expect we're going to get a different result. On the first day of the new Congress, McCarthy failed to secure the 218 votes needed for House Speaker. He is facing critics in his own party who want a change in the way the House operates. McCarthy has insisted that he won't step down until he gets the necessary support to win the vote. The House will remain adjourned until a Speaker is elected. Other Republicans who voted against McCarthy include Representatives Andy Biggs, Lauren Boebert, and Matt Gates. We get some analysis on the reason for the opposition and the negotiations taking place. Joining us now is Lee Smith, columnist and author of The Plot Against the President. He's also the host of Over the Target on Epic TV. It's a pleasure having you on for discussion, Lee. Thanks. Great to be here, as always. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy only received 202 votes of the 218 needed to become Speaker in the House for the third vote. What are the main reasons for the opposition of McCarthy becoming Speaker among Republicans? Well, m- my sense of it is speaking with some uh, some former congressional officials, including some investigators up there, uh, a lot of people are concerned. They want power to go into these different investigations, and they look at the rules that Kevin McCarthy submitted um, uh, at, at, the, at the beginning of this week, and they're not satisfied. They see that McCarthy is, uh, has not... Uh, granted enough power to committee chairs um, for them to be able to investigate different things the Biden administration has been doing and stuff that law enforcement authorities have been doing, targeting Republican voters, the Republican base. And so Republican representatives are keen to make sure that they do have enough, as much power as possible to hold accountable the people who have been hunting their base for the last two years. So some of these investigations are part of the holdup. What can you tell us about the negotiations that are happening here? The people who went out there in the beginning 
They said, uh, we're not going to vote for McCarthy. They can't walk it back without getting major concessions. So they have to figure out a way, the, uh, you know, the Republicans have to figure out a way to be able to use um, be able to use this Congress, which they lead, as an instrument to, uh, you know, not only to investigate, not only to go after the Biden administration, but to answer to the needs of the people, the men and women, the Americans who put them in Congress. The House GOP has been very vocal about their priorities in that regard. Now, in the third vote, Representative Jim Jordan got 20 votes. He himself voted for McCarthy. How do we make sense of this? Well, you know, uh, I'm told that uh, I'm told that Representative Jordan does not want the job. You know, he, he will be chairman of House Judiciary, which is very, very important going into this Congress. Um, but you know, there are a lot, uh, there's a lot of people, uh, especially in the Freedom uh, Freedom Caucus, who have uh, loved Jordan, who worked with Jordan for many years. They believe that he can do the job. Will Jordan eventually turn into someone who's going to? get more and more votes. I don't know. I will say one thing that, that you know, being Speaker of the House is a very hard job. Uh, and it's not, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot of power, but it's not really a fun job. There's not many people who want to do it. And there's not many people who are capable of doing it. Now, Jim Jordan, several years ago, did want to do it. My understanding is he doesn't want to do this anymore. The optimal solution is they just hold McCarthy's feet to the fire, make sure that the Republicans get what they get, what they need to be a sharp instrument. The main thing that people tell me that they want is investigations of the FBI, but they will need that power and they need McCarthy to give them that power. And without it, they're not going to be able to investigate the FBI or the Bidens properly. The executive branch has played a role in this. And for example, former President Trump is urging the House Republicans to elect McCarthy as speaker. Do you think this pressure will make any impact? Um, I, well, I, I mean, you know, uh, President Trump has stood behind, uh, you know, Lita McCarthy for a while, and I think it's good. It's not going to make, not, not right away anyway, it's not going to make the 20 people who voted against Kevin McCarthy and for someone else, you know, take back their votes. I, I, I said we may be embarking on a very long process here. Yes, we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. Lee Smith, columnist and author of The Plot Against the President, it's really great having your analysis once again. Thank you so much, Kevin. The Republican majority in the House has removed metal detectors outside the lower chamber. They were put in place by House Democrats two years ago following the January 6th Capitol breach. When I arrived in Congress two years ago, Nancy Pelosi put this hunk of garbage outside of the House chambers for members of Congress to go through. Today, they are being removed and we are turning Pelosi's house back into the people's house. Then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi introduced fines for House members who didn't go through the metal detectors. Several Republicans, including Congressman Louie Gohmert of Texas and Andrew Clyde of Georgia, were fined in 2021. A rules package for the new Congress will remove fines for both mask mandates and the metal detectors. The package said, quote, members should not face unnecessary disruptions as they carried out their constitutional duties. The new rules, crafted by Republicans, would also end the practice of proxy voting. It was adopted under Pelosi amid the pandemic and allowed House members to vote on behalf of others. Elon Musk has released more information about the extent of alleged government influence on Twitter. He says the federal government had asked Twitter to suspend 250,000 accounts. Here's the story. Elon Musk on Tuesday replied to a Twitter thread saying, quote, 
U.S. government agency demanded suspension of 250,000 accounts, including journalists and Canadian officials. Musk was replying to a thread by journalist Matt Taibbi, who posted the latest Twitter files. The thread showed redacted email correspondence between Twitter executives and government officials within various federal agencies in 2020. Taibbi wrote that Twitter was taking orders from a range of government agencies, including the Senate Intelligence Committee, the Treasury, the NSA, the Department of Health and Human Services, the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Security. One post also showed an email from the office of Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, who was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. His office asked Twitter to ban journalist Paul Sperry. Twitter's reply showed the social media company declined to honor the congressman's request, but Sperry was still suspended from the platform. The latest Twitter files release also showed that federal agencies flagged accounts that questioned the origins of COVID-19 and tied the accounts to Russian disinformation. The TSA extends a requirement for visitors to the U.S. to be vaccinated in order to enter the country. This makes the United States the only Western country that still has such a rule. Here are the details. The Transportation Security Administration, or TSA, has issued a so-called emergency amendment which extends the requirement for visitors to the U.S. to show proof of being fully vaccinated against COVID-19. This directive is effective from next Monday to April 10th. It applies to almost all visitors, excluding U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents. This makes the U.S. one of only a few countries worldwide to have vaccine proof as a requirement for entry for non-citizens. Most other countries offer alternatives for the unvaccinated, such as requiring a negative test, a quarantine period, or proof of immunity, which comes from a previous infection, for example. There are only four countries with similar rules to the U.S. Those are Pakistan, Indonesia, Ghana, and Liberia. According to the CDC, being fully vaccinated means having received an accepted single-dose vaccination or a second dose of a two-dose series at least 14 days in the past. There is no need for a booster dose to achieve the criterion. The TSA says their vaccine requirement will advance safety and security of travelers, government workers, and more. The amendment reads that the policy is intended to limit the risk that COVID-19, including variants of the virus that causes COVID-19, is introduced, transmitted, and spread into and throughout the United States, potentially overwhelming United States healthcare and public health resources. However, the CDC director in August noted that vaccines can't actually prevent transmission. She told CNN in an interview, our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta with regard to severe illness and death. They prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. In recent months, policymakers and big parts of the general public have also acknowledged that vaccines do not prevent transmission. Data now shows that Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and Southwest Airlines were aware of potential transportation and computer problems before Southwest's operational meltdown. Southwest blamed the weather for the massive flight cancellations that occurred last month. However, the National Association of Attorneys General sent a letter in August 2022 to leaders in Congress. It warned them that their offices had received thousands of complaints from outraged airline passengers about airline customer service. The letter asserted that the Department of Transportation had failed to respond to thousands of complaints about various airlines. It went on to say that the Department of Transportation was unable or unwilling to hold the companies accountable. The letter also stated that, quote, 
federal law places the central responsibility for addressing violations of airline consumer protection with the United States Department of Transportation. The letter was signed by the attorneys general of 38 states and came just before Buttigieg appeared in September to promise the travel conditions would improve by the holidays. Here's Buttigieg on The Late Late Show with James Corden. We're really pressing the airlines to deliver better service. So many people have been delayed, been canceled. It's happened to me several times this summer. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says Southwest Airlines failed its customers point blank. So Southwest Airlines acknowledged that all cancellations starting December 24th were controllable, in other words, not weather related. So that means the airlines assumes responsibility. Southwest has said it would reimburse affected passengers for reasonable expenses such as last minute hotel, rental car and dining costs, but it might take several weeks. The carrier largely restored normal operations on December 30th, several days after other airlines had recovered from the storm. The Department of Transportation did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Southwest Airlines CEO Bob Jordan is offering 25,000 frequent flyer points to travelers affected by the airline's Christmas travel chaos. Jordan apologized in December after the flight carrier canceled more than 15,000 flights over the Christmas holiday period. According to a screenshot of an email Jordan sent out to travelers, the 25,000 points are a gesture of goodwill and have a value of more than $300. The extra points are available to those who had flights canceled or delayed for more than three hours between December 24th and January 2nd. They have no expiration or blackout date and can be used for future travel or other items like gift cards and merchandise. The bonus air miles are in addition to refunds and reimbursements. Southwest Airlines initially blamed the weather and its scheduling system for the thousands of flight cancellations, but Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said that the delays were actually due to circumstances within the airline's control. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg flew to Europe on a military aircraft with his husband, Chastin Buttigieg, last spring. The pair were there to attend the fifth Invictus Games. A White House spokesperson told Fox News it's standard practice for military aircraft to be provided for White House-organized cabinet-level presidential delegations. A Department of Transportation spokesperson didn't respond to inquiries about the cost to taxpayers and whether Buttigieg intends to reimburse the government for his husband's travel. Buttigieg has used government private jets on a minimum of 18 occasions since taking office, this despite arguing for aggressive climate change policies and carbon emission reductions. The makeshift border wall built to stem illegal immigration in Arizona has been removed. It was constructed from shipping containers placed along the U.S.-Mexico border. Arizona state and federal authorities reached an agreement in December to remove the containers by early January. The agreement came after the U.S. government filed a lawsuit. The suit alleged that the makeshift wall was illegally erected on federal lands. The two sides managed to solve the issue two weeks before Katie Hobbs took over as governor on Monday. Former Republican Governor Doug Ducey directed a state agency to close the gaps along Arizona's 370-mile border with Mexico by double-stacking the shipping containers. It's been called callous, cruel, and a political stunt by many Democrats. Now Colorado Governor Jared Polis, who is a Democrat, is busing illegal immigrants out of his state to so-called sanctuary cities. Polis issued a statement yesterday. He says the number of people being bussed out has recently grown to clear a backlog due to the harsh winter weather. Destinations include Chicago and New York, 
Both cities are known for very cold winters. New York Mayor Eric Adams warned last month that his city's shelters are at capacity. In response to Colorado's plan, he said, This is just unfair for local governments to have to take on this national obligation. In his words, there's no more room at the inn. Democrats have widely criticized Republican governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott for the same action. A cruise ship rescuing migrants off the coast of Cuba, and not just one, but two separate cruise ships spotted boats on Monday. One was overcrowded with 19 people. The other was a raft with five people. In both cases, crew members contacted the U.S. Coast Guard, who took the people from Cuba into custody. Celebrity Beyond Captain Kate McHugh posted a video of the rescue on social media. In the video, she said that she turned the ship around after her chief officer noticed a glimmer on the horizon. It turned out to be the migrant boat. After the migrants were aboard the ship, crew members provided them with blankets, fresh clothes, food, and a medical evaluation. Officials say hundreds of people have tried to illegally cross into the Florida Keys over the past several days. Most are from Cuba and Haiti and are escaping economic turmoil, food shortages, and inflation. Mexican authorities said on Tuesday they fired the director of a prison near the U.S. border. That's where at least 30 inmates escaped over the weekend after a deadly riot. Police are now hunting for missing convicts. Mexico has flown 200 military personnel to the U.S. border city of Ciudad Juarez to fight organized crime there. Days after a deadly prison riot and while a manhunt is underway for escaped convicts. That's according to the defense ministry on Tuesday. That's hours after the director of the prison, which saw guards and prisoners killed in a riot and breakout on New Year's Day, was fired. Chihuahua state prosecutors said Tuesday Alejandro Alvarado was not only dismissed, but he and others are under investigation for a possible role in the jailbreak. 19 people died on Sunday after gunmen attacked the prison a few miles south of the U.S. border. They killed guards and inmates and triggered a mass escape that included cartel kingpin Ernesto Alfredo Pinon de la Cruz, also known as El Neto. After federal authorities arrived to restore order, they found a so-called VIP zone in the prison full of drugs and cash. On Monday night, the Chihuahua state government said seven people had died during subsequent police clashes as part of a hunt to find the escaped inmates. Two of the dead were police. Sunday's events mark one of the highest death tolls from prison violence in Mexico in recent memory. Still to come, an update on the suspect in the murder of four Idaho students. Indiana State Police say he was pulled over twice by police before his arrest. Some residents in Jackson, Mississippi haven't had running water since Christmas Eve as the city struggles with an ailing water system. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. New revelations about Idaho murder suspect Brian Koberger, Indiana State Police confirm he was pulled over twice in Indiana last month. That was just a few weeks before his arrest. The 28-year-old had been working on a Ph.D. in criminal justice at Washington State University. He's accused of killing four students at the University of Idaho in November. Yesterday, the suspect agreed to be extradited from Pennsylvania to Idaho for trial. He faces four counts of first-degree murder and a burglary charge. But an Indiana police officer's body cam recording reveals more. 
The December 15th footage shows Koberger and his father sitting in a car. They were stopped by police for following too closely and later released with a verbal warning. He was a county guy. Was it like a black SUV? Okay. All right. All right. Are you guys following too closely? Well, I'm not going to give you guys another ticket or warning if you just got stopped. Just make sure you give yourself plenty of room, okay? So, so like I said, it's all, it's all about how fast you're going, okay? The suspect was also stopped by a local sheriff's department just minutes before. According to Indiana police, at the time of this stop, there was no information available on a suspect for the crime in Idaho. Media reports described a white Hyundai Elantra near the crime scene, but the license plate, state, and number were unknown. New York's Attorney General wants the U.S. Supreme Court to allow statewide concealed carry restrictions to stay in effect. Yesterday, Attorney General Letitia James asked the justices not to block the state's Concealed Carry Improvement Act. The law places new requirements on carrying a concealed firearm. For instance, those applying for the license must demonstrate, quote, good moral character and provide a list of all former and current social media accounts from the past three years. The law also bans concealed firearms from, quote, sensitive places like healthcare settings, churches, and parks. A district court blocked parts of the law last fall, agreeing with gun owners that it violated their rights. But a federal appeals court put the decision on hold. The Supreme Court justices do not have to consider the merits of this case, only whether to lift the court order pending appeal. Two men have been arrested and charged with vandalizing electrical substations in Washington state, attacks that left thousands without power over the holidays. Matthew Greenwood and Jeremy Crayon were arrested on Saturday. A newly unsealed complaint charges both with conspiracy to damage energy facilities and it charged Greenwood with possession of a short-barreled rifle and a short-barreled shotgun. According to the complaint, Greenwood told investigators that the two knocked out power so they could burglarize a business and steal from the cash register. The business was not identified in the complaint. Cell phone location data and other evidence tied them to the attacks on the four substations in Pierce County. Officials have warned that the U.S. power grid needs better security to prevent domestic terrorism after a large outage in North Carolina last month took days to repair. Conspiracy to attack energy facilities is punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Possession of an unregistered firearm is punishable by up to 10 years. No water since Christmas Eve. That's the situation facing some Jackson, Mississippi residents. The city says it's working to restore water pressure to all residents after cold temperatures cause problems for their already crippled water system. Officials say they're making progress in restoring service, but are still asking residents to conserve as much water as possible. While some people in Jackson haven't had water since Christmas Eve, others have been under a boil notice. The city is offering water distribution points for residents who need drinking and non-potable water. We are seeing a lot of snow this winter, even in places like California. Snowpack levels in the Golden State's mountains are off to one of the best starts in 40 years. For our survey today, we recorded a snow depth of 55 and a half inches and a snow water content of 17 and a half inches. That results in 177% of average to date and 72% of the April 1 average here at this location. 
State water officials took the year's first official measurements of snow and water content in Phillips, a town east of Sacramento in the central Sierra Mountains. The measurement was boosted by recent storms that drenched the state during the holidays. The state could see even more rain and snow this week and into the weekend. There's hope that in the spring, the snow will melt and flow into reservoirs and provide water for drinking and farming. California water reservoirs remain well below capacity. It remains to be seen whether the latest storms will help deliver enough water to the state to end a three-year drought. A funeral homeowner is sentenced to 20 years in federal prison for dissecting 560 corpses and selling body parts without permission and without the knowledge of the family members of the dead. Colorado woman Megan Hess pleaded guilty to fraud in July. Her 20-year sentence is the maximum allowed under law. She operated a funeral home and a body parts entity from the same building. Her mother, Shirley Koch, also pleaded guilty to fraud and was sentenced to 15 years. Former workers told Reuters that the pair conducted unauthorized dismemberments of bodies. Surgical training companies and other firms bought the arms, legs, heads, and torsos, but didn't know they were fraudulently obtained. The judge ordered the two sent to prison immediately. Hess's lawyer says she has been unfairly vilified and said her conduct can be attributed to a traumatic brain injury at age 18. The millions of people waiting to hear about student loan forgiveness shouldn't expect an answer soon. The Supreme Court is set to hear arguments on whether the Biden administration's loan forgiveness program is legal. But a decision is unlikely to come before June So far, about 26 million applicants have asked the Department of Education to participate in the program, which forgives up to $20,000 in federal student debt. That's all on hold until the Supreme Court reaches a decision. In the meantime, the Biden administration has again extended a pandemic-related pause on loan repayments. Borrowers do not have to make payments until the loan forgiveness program issue is resolved, if that hasn't happened by June 30th. Payments will resume 60 days after that. And coming up, new protests are flaring up in China, this time against restrictions on how people can celebrate the new year. And South Korea ramps up COVID testing of inbound Chinese travelers. Over 25% of them tested positive yesterday. Meanwhile, a Chinese national disappears from a quarantine facility. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. New protests broke out in at least three Chinese cities during the New Year holiday. This time, it's over restrictions on how people can celebrate. And among China's COVID-19 deaths, many are experts in top academic institutions. And today's Ellie Hart has more. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. One month after the blank paper movement saw protests sparking across China, New demonstrations erupted again in at least three Chinese cities this time during the New Year holiday. Thousands of people were reportedly involved. Monday night, citizens in central China's Henan province destroyed and flipped over a police car. This after police arrested a citizen for setting off fireworks in Zhoukou City. The angry crowd surrounded the vehicle, preventing officers from taking a citizen to a police station. Some protesters smashed the car's windshield and windows. Others climbed onto the car's roof and danced. In the end, they overturned it. At least two people were arrested on site. 
For years, the Chinese Communist regime has banned the use of fireworks across the nation. But some cities have since loosened the rule to allow citizens to fully celebrate the first New Year since COVID-19 lockdowns lifted. Though some cities kept the ban in place, the issue came to a head during the protest. In another video clip shared online, one protester is heard saying, quote, People of Xutang City, let's fight. Xutang is another city in Henan province. On New Year's Eve, more than a thousand people gathered in the streets there. They celebrated with fireworks despite a police presence on site. Over in northern China's Shandong province, one car set off fireworks while driving through the area, with a police car on its tail. Another car was stopped by a police officer, but the driver continued setting off fireworks anyway. Another video shows city workers using fire extinguishers to stop citizens from lighting the fireworks. Over in Nanjing City, a crowd of what appeared to be hundreds of people broke down a police blockade. It was set up to surround the statue of Sun Yat-sen. Sun is known as the father of the nation in Taiwan and the forerunner of the revolution in China. That's for his contribution in overthrowing China's last dynasty. He was a promoter of democracy. Elsewhere, a highway in Henan province saw New Year's Day protests. Hundreds of bank fraud victims gathered there to bring attention to the issue and demand their money back. A spike in deaths among senior experts from China's top academic bodies. That's as the CCP virus sweeps across China. The CCP virus causes COVID-19. The most recent number, 24 top experts died in December last year. That's close to the number of experts who died in the entire year of 2021. They come from some of the country's most prestigious academic institutions, such as the Chinese Academy of Sciences and the Chinese Academy of Engineering. Their obituaries didn't mention if these experts died of COVID-19. That's as funeral homes across China are overflowing and infection numbers see a massive surge. Most of these experts are Communist Party members, their ages ranging from 80s to 90s. The youngest is 57, a Chinese biochemist and molecular biologist called Jiang Hualiang. Other examples include professors from Xinhua University, a top school that has educated many of the party's leaders. South Korea has stepped up mandatory coronavirus tests on travelers from China. This after a Chinese national who tested positive for COVID-19 went missing while waiting at a quarantine facility. NTD's Daniel Monahan has this report. Health officials and military officers can be seen wearing protective suits. They are keeping a watchful eye as travelers from China stream through the arrival hall at Incheon International Airport. The travelers will then proceed to a nearby testing center. The case of the missing Chinese national has fueled public debate on restrictions on people arriving from China. This South Korean resident welcomes their arrival. I think we should open the door wider to the Chinese travelers and regard them more favorably so that more tourists can come. While 30-year-old Lee Jae-moon wants stricter rules. I saw the news that a person came from China who was supposed to be quarantined but had escaped. That incident underlines the seriousness of the situation. South Korean authorities say the missing person was transferred to a hotel to await admission to quarantine but then disappeared. Health Ministry official Kim Joo-young says the individual has been placed on a wanted list. 
사고가 발생을 했습니다. The person could be subject to up to one year in prison or 10 million won in fines if convicted of violating the Infectious Disease Control and Prevention Act. Also, the person would be deported and banned from entering the country for a certain period of time. Over 2,000 people have arrived from China since January 2nd. More than 22% of those tested were COVID positive. On Tuesday, about 26% of the more than 280 people tested were positive. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The EU is set to impose new restrictions on travelers from China. The restrictions are expected to come into force within days and involve pre-departure COVID-19 tests. It's an effort to prevent a surge of infections across the bloc. The EU Commission says the move was requested by an overwhelming majority of the 27 member states. France, Italy and Spain have already said that visitors from China will be subject to providing evidence of a recent negative COVID test or proof of vaccination. Further measures recommended by EU health officials include the wearing of masks on flights and monitoring of wastewater from aircraft. The EU health commissioner said a final decision will be made on Wednesday. China has recently emerged from a lengthy lockdown, a measure taken despite a rise in infections. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, volunteer group Black Tula searches for fallen soldiers in Ukraine. The group wants to bring closure to families. We'll return with that and more after this break. Russia's defense ministry reported 89 servicemen had been killed in the Ukrainian attack on Makivka, a city in the Moscow-controlled part of the Donetsk region. The ministry added that the main reason for the attack was the troops' unauthorized use of cell phones, allowing Ukrainian forces to track and determine the soldiers' location. The missile strike on a school that was converted into military quarters in Makivka occurred just after midnight on New Year's Day. The defense ministry further added that the building was hit by four rockets from the U.S.-made HIMARS launchers, causing the building to collapse. The attack has prompted some lawmakers in Russia to question its military strategy. Russia previously reported that 63 Russian soldiers were killed. Where could the war in Ukraine be heading? A senior Ukrainian diplomat in Germany says now it's too late for negotiations with Russia. How can we reach peace? Through negotiations or diplomacy? I will say no. I'm a diplomat myself, and every war ultimately ends with diplomatic efforts, such as the terrible First and Second World Wars. But now it's too late. The Consul General was receiving a donation of police vehicles, generators, and boots from Germany. Shortly before his comment, Moscow reported the deadliest Ukrainian attack in the town of Makivka, where 63 Russian troops were killed. That was after four rockets fired from U.S.-made launchers hit the site. Meanwhile, Ukraine and the EU plan to hold a summit in Kyiv on February 3rd. President Volodymyr Zelensky has called European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen on the details of the meeting, including weapon donations and a $19 billion financial aid. German Defense Minister Christine Lambrecht has been accused of insensitivity after releasing a video-recorded New Year's message. In the video, she refers to the Ukraine war while fireworks exploded in the background. 
The video message shows her standing on a Berlin street during New Year's Eve celebrations. Critics have suggested the bangs and pops of the fireworks sound like the shelling and explosions heard by those on the front line in parts of Ukraine. The biggest opposition party and several media outlets have called for Lambrecht to resign, with one newspaper calling her a security risk for Germany. The message was posted on her private Instagram account. A defense ministry spokesman appeared to distance the government from any involvement with it. Last month, Lambrecht also faced criticism after all 18 Puma infantry tanks were found to be unreliable and needed to be put out of service during a military drill. Combing the battlefields of eastern Ukraine, a group of volunteers has made it their mission to search for the bodies of the fallen soldiers and return them to their families. And just a warning, some viewers may find the following disturbing. With the sounds of artillery booming in the distance, these volunteers search for the bodies of fallen soldiers in eastern Ukraine's battlefields. The group is called Black Tulip, and members say they're driven by a higher purpose. When we dig up our guys, I think we're doing a good deed, says 26-year-old volunteer Artur Samiko. Their parents are waiting for them at home. They shouldn't lie in some forest, field, or on the street. There are about 100 volunteers locating the bodies of both Ukrainian and Russian soldiers near the front line. The group declined to say how many it has found. The work is dangerous. Remains are often found with remnants of explosive weapons. Some are even booby-trapped, and volunteers take precautions like lying down to avoid being hit by a potential blast. Alexei Yukov says he's located the remains of thousands of Second World War soldiers buried in unmarked sites in the past and lost an eye when a mine detonated during his work. One never gets used to this. Whenever you dig up a boy, you live through his nightmare and the horror he went through in his last moment when he understood that this is the end. There's no way back. Yukov says volunteers then have to break the news to the soldier's loved ones, dashing any hope that the soldier might have been taken prisoner or somehow still be alive. But the group says it's determined to return every fallen Ukrainian from this war, all in an effort to bring difficult but necessary closure to their families. In the U.K., rail workers kicked off the new year with a week-long strike yesterday, the first day back at work for many people after the Christmas break. Rail union boss Mick Lynch accuses the government of blocking a deal, while the government has called on union bosses to return to the negotiating table. It's a long-running dispute over pay and conditions. There's a planned bus strike for six days this month. Highway workers and driving examiners are also walking out this week. There's an ambulance strike on January 11th, and nurses are set to walk out on the 18th and 19th, and teachers are due to go on strike in Scotland next week. Czech billionaire and former Prime Minister Andrei Babish sits in trial for fraud charges, but in just a few days, he heads off to run in the 2023 presidential election. Babish was the Czech finance minister and later prime minister from 2017 to 2021. He is also the owner of Agrofert, a chemicals, agriculture, food, and media conglomerate, which is now sitting in a trust due to conflict of interest laws. According to the Forbes 2020 list, Babish ranks the fifth richest in the country. 
He's also one of the favorites in the upcoming election. In the trial, he's accused of using more than $2 million of EU subsidies in 2011. He allegedly used the money to build a conference center near Prague while hiding his ownership in the project. Babish has denied wrongdoing, dismissing the case as political. Observers say the trial could knock back some undecided voters. And the first round of election vote begins next Friday and Saturday. And still to come, tourists in Finland visit a mine to search for amethysts. The purple gems at this site were formed two billion years ago. And more and more Australians look to make the switch to electric vehicles. The service sector is now adapting. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. Tourists in Finland are visiting a mine in Lapland to crack open rocks. They're searching for amethysts. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on their dig for the purple quartz. This amethyst mine in the Lapish countryside has been operating since the 80s. The gems at this site were formed two billion years ago. In summer, this is a working commercial mine. But in December, tourists can chip away at the rocks in search of their own amethyst. Tourists, they will work in here. So, of course, we are working as well, but tourists, they really, they are doing that treasure hunting themselves because they will have one amethyst. Every visitor, all the visitors, they can have one amethyst. Each year, the mine welcomes between 20,000 and 25,000 tourists. Those numbers plummeted during the pandemic. But this year, visitor numbers should return to normal. Tourist figures could even exceed expectations. It's just getting back like what it was before that uh, COVID-19. And uh, so it was actually, now it has been a couple of years, a little bit lower, but now we are getting back for that. And of course, we are aiming a little bit more. Marcia is part of a tour group from Malaysia. She's been digging for the last 20 minutes, but so far, she hasn't had much luck. She's mostly come up with rocks and other debris, but she's hopeful she'll find something. It's mostly gravels and stones. But I got help from them and I think some amethyst, not that sure, couldn't differentiate it as well. So I'm putting everything inside a bucket and who knows. Amethysts can cost hundreds or even thousands of dollars, depending on weight and quality. Best quality, when it's like a gemstone quality, it's really looking, if just like optical, so it's looking like a piece of purple glass. So absolutely transparent if there's no fractures. As long as the amethysts can fit inside the palm of tourists' hands, the gems are theirs to keep. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Wow. The white stone walls and cobblestone streets of an Albanian city have earned it UNESCO World Heritage status. Now the streets are being restored, but the city is struggling to find skilled stonemasons. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the labor shortage. The ancient city of Barat is a must-see for visitors to Albania. The 2,400-year-old city is renowned for its beautiful white stone houses and cobblestone streets. 
Above all, there is the complex of the historic quarters, the castle, the nearby neighborhoods, Goritza and Mangalam, and this medieval center we are at here, which makes this town a vivid museum in nature, where history, architecture, and simple popular items used in them are harmonized so beautifully in the complex of the historic quarters. For the first time since World War II, the sound of hammers echoes through the narrow streets. Workers are trying to restore almost every cobblestone street in the Mogollum Quarter. But the local authorities are struggling to find younger people willing to master the art of stone cutting. Low wages have made many young people move away. Nearly all of the master stone cutters in the city are 60 or older. The youngest stone cutter here is 38 years old. He's been working with stone for more than 15 years. I chose this profession because I did not do more school and get another formal job. But I am suited to this job, and why shouldn't I do it, I told myself. The team's 61-year-old supervisor says it's the skill and character of these men that makes the city what it is. Stone doesn't live. It's useless to discuss it because there is no barat without stones. There is no barat without the stone roofs. There is no barat without windows. That's its uniqueness. That's why it is a monument. It's the famous Mangalam, famous Goritza, famous castle. People have seen flats, buildings, big and beautiful or ugly, but there is no other Mangalam. It's unique. Work to restore the streets started this past January and is set to be completed by January 2023. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Australians are increasingly looking to make the switch to electric vehicles. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on how the auto industry may adapt. Garage mechanics are learning about electric engines. With an increase in electric vehicles on the road, there's also a need for the service sector to adapt. Definitely a lot more uh, complicated, uh, the electrical side of things. The Tasmanian Automotive Chamber of Commerce has come up with a training course for auto workers. The program teaches the skills necessary to handle EVs, especially when dealing with the specific risks associated with these new vehicles. We're dealing with systems that are, that are upward of towards 800 volts, so serious injury and, and in some cases electrocution are, are, are realities. The rise in demand for electric vehicles is presenting another challenge. EVs need less work than their gas-powered vehicles. For car dealers, that also means a cut in income from servicing vehicles. For some dealerships, the only way to survive is to adapt. We're going to have to if, if we want to stay in business. Um, electric cars are coming, it's the way of the future, and we, we're going to have to adapt to it, and pretty quickly. Some mechanics are reluctant to learn new skills to work on EVs. For some, adapting to EVs seems like an unnecessary endeavor. Many of the mechanics that I've spoken to have said, hey, I'm in my 50s, why would I bother to learn that new stuff now? I got enough to keep me busy till I retire. So I think there's a degree of reticence just to change, and that's understandable. But growing demand for electric vehicles continues. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. We now have an impressive new image of the distant Serpens constellation. Chile's Visible and Infrared Survey Telescope for Astronomy, VISTA for short, captured the image. It was taken while observing the SH-254 nebula in infrared light, which can't be seen by the human eye. Infrared light can pierce through thick dust clouds in space to reveal previously unseen details. This kind of infrared imagery is helping astronomers learn more about how stars form. 
Multiple nebulae, or clouds of gas and dust, that fuel star formation are located at the tail end of the Serpent's constellation. It got its name because of its snake-like appearance. And just ahead, a health trend called bungee fitness offers a high-intensity yet low-impact cardio workout. The exercise is perfect for older participants and those with injuries. From tigers to squirrels to penguins, London Zoo is doing an annual animal count, jotting down information on thousands of animals. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. There's a new Los Angeles health trend on the rise, bungee fitness. Participants use a harness and a bungee cord attached to the ceiling to work out with minimal pressure on their joints. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on the flying fad. D&A Flying Yoga in Los Angeles offers bungee fitness and aerial yoga classes. Owner and instructor Seyun Lim calls it a high-intensity, low-impact cardio workout. I think it's a fun factor. The joy, the levity that brings this exercise brings to you. You can smile, laugh, scream, having all the fun you want, and 45 minutes of cardio just passes by. Lim guides participants through each movement. She begins each class by explaining how to attach the gear. Safety number one. Before any practice, you need to be you need to feel safe enough to practice, especially when you're using bungee harness, which is attached to the ceiling. So before you go ahead, we check the security first. Safety comes number one, and once you're safely attached, then time to fly. Dr. Anil Mohin is a cardiologist. He thinks the class is an excellent workout, especially for those who have aging joints or injuries. Workout is essential at every stage in life. But as we get older or we get some injury, then we get laid off, we cannot work out. So with low impact uh, on the joints, you are able to work out, do the same good exercise that you need to do without uh, injuring your joints any further. 51-year-old businessman Yun Chui is a former athlete. He says he enjoys the low impact nature of the classes. I have bad knees and joints, so I, running on the treadmill, running outside, actually uh, gives me a lot of pressure and a lot of pain. So I wanted to try this uh, bungee, and it's actually been great. Um, it's kind of like equivalent to doing exercise in the water. It alleviates all the pr- pressure and pain, uh, and I can go hard. For those who have a New Year's workout resolution, bungee fitness could help you stick to it. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Let's get some tips on how to prevent dry skin this winter. We'll look at everything from bathing to food, clothing, and the home environment. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Eczema, also known as dry dermatitis, is common in winter. When the temperature drops, the secretion of sebum decreases. That means you can easily lose the moisture in your skin. The skin can become dry, itchy and inflamed. This can cause peeling, scaling and other problems. Let's get some tips on how to avoid this starting with bathing. If you want to keep dry skin at bay, choose bath products that don't contain soap. Its pH value needs to be close to that of the skin, about 
5.5. Also, the water temperature should not be too high. Water that's too hot can easily wash away sebum. This makes the skin unable to lock in moisture effectively. After bathing, apply lotion when the skin is still damp. This will achieve the best moisturizing effect. Make sure your moisturizing products are rich in plant sterols, vitamin A and vitamin E. Next, let's look at clothing and the home environment. For people with rashes or sensitive skin, choose pure cotton. Nowadays, it's popular to wear thermal clothing in winter. However, it's often made of chemical fiber. When the skin feels hot, it becomes more sensitive. Therefore, thermal clothing is not suitable for all skin types. And finally, let's look at food. In terms of diet, there are many foods with refined starches in the grocery stores. These are foods with a high glycemic index. These are bad for your health and make eczema worse. Be sure to eat more fresh, raw foods, as well as foods rich in vitamin A and vitamin E. This not only prevents dry skin, but also helps you to achieve beautiful skin. From tigers to squirrels, London Zoo keepers this week set out on a mammoth task, the annual count of thousands of its animals. Zoo staff will try to number all the residents of the zoo from big to small, including meerkats and penguins. The audit will cover up to 400 species and more than 14,000 animals. A full week is expected for the entire count. Collected information will be stored later in a global database. That's for other zoos to use in their own breeding programs. A zoo official described the count as a huge undertaking, but added, keepers are well-trained to always make a successful count. Today is uh, the annual stock take at London Zoo, and as the name would suggest, it's the day or indeed the beginning of a week long of counting that we do of all the animals here at the zoo. We've seen a, a range of animals. So in the case of, um, let's say, a Mallorcan midwife toad, it's just, uh, just one animal and doesn't move very much, so it's pretty easy. In the case of squirrel monkeys that are all jumping around on the keeper's head, on the keeper's clipboard, uh, the keepers are used a lot of tricks, um, most often food, sometimes some training that they will have done with the animals. London Zoo said they welcomed some star animals last year. Among them is a silverback western lowland gorilla, a big hit with visitors. The zoo also took pride in several newly born Sumatran tiger cubs. This big cat is one of the most endangered felines on the planet, with only a few hundred left in the wild. NTD is live streaming the second day of House Speaker election now on our website, ntd.com live. And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.